0: This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show.
1: Uh, it's Pat O'Keefe with you on this uh, Tuesday night. 1-800-919-3776, of course, is the number. Uh, plenty to get to. The Yankees win in Cleveland, so they bounce back from their disappointing loss yesterday. While the Mets haven't been able to find some traction yet, and they're kind of treading water, the Yankees are really taking the The slow and steady approach and uh, more steady than slow Uh, Yankees tomorrow. If they win a matinee in Cleveland against the guardians would win their fourth consecutive series to begin the season. They haven't swept anybody yet. They took two out of three against the giants at home. They took two out of three against the Phillies at home. They took two out of three in Baltimore over the weekend. They lost yesterday in Cleveland. They won tonight. They won big 11 to two, the final score, another, Win for Garrett Cole, another terrific performance for Garrett Cole. He's uh, 3-for-3 to start the season, and the Yankees will go for another series win tomorrow afternoon in the rubber match of this three-game series before heading home a four-game weekend series against the Twins at Yankee Stadium begins on Thursday evening. Yankees, though, that slow and steady approach. They have guys hitting. Uh, They're getting good pitching for the most part. The pitching is interesting, and there's some news on the injury front regarding the Yankees pitching staff. But first, we touch on those who are pitching, and it's kind of a tale right now through uh, the first 11 games of the season. It's kind of a tale of the haves and the have-nots, and the Yankees right now through those 11 games are seven and four. Three of their five starting pitchers have accounted for all seven of their wins, and between Gerrit Cole's three starts, Nestor Cortez's two, and Johnny Brito's two, that is seven terrific starts for what right now are the top three pitchers in the Yankees' rotation. Cole today gives up two runs early in the first inning to Cleveland, shuts them down the rest of the way. He goes seven. His numbers so far on the season, three earned runs allowed in 19 and a third innings pitched. Cortez, who picked up a win on Easter Sunday, three earned runs, in 10 and a third innings pitch, he's made two starts. So is Johnny Brito, one earned run in 10 innings pitch. So you look at those three seven starts, 30, uh, yeah, seven starts, seven earned runs, and 39 and two thirds innings pitch. They are seven and oh, Cole, Cortez, and Brito are seven and oh in those seven starts with a 1.59 ERA. So those are the haves, and on the other side, you have the half knots, Domingo Herman. And Clark Schmidt have made two starts apiece, four in total, and between the two of them have allowed 12 earned runs and 14 and a third innings pitched. That's an 0 1 record and a 7.53 ERA. So that's the state of the Yankees' rotation right now, but they're getting contributions in their lineup also. Uh, Judge is hitting. Glaber Torres has been good since the beginning of the season. Uh, Stanton, who had the day off today, is hitting home runs. Anthony Volpe also had the day off today. He's not hitting yet. His average at 129, but you know, my continued hope for how the Yankees handle him is that they just stay the course and they ride it out and allow him to take his lumps at this point and develop on the major league level, and that is something that is a lot more easily done if the Yankees are a team that is winning, and right now the Yankees are a team that is winning. They're getting a huge lift from Frenchy Cordero. He had another home run today. Six games played for Cordero, three home runs and 10 RBIs. They even got contributions from Aaron Hicks for the second game in a row. Hicks went two for four and he scored two runs in his last two games, Baltimore over the weekend and tonight in Cleveland. Hicks is 3-for-8, two runs, and an RBI in his last two games. You can't get a much smaller sample size than that. But my point regarding Hicks is this. Play him. Uh, you may think I'm crazy by saying that, and I'm not going to sit here and say I've been one of Hicks's biggest critics. I've been a huge critic of Hicks, but I'm not taking all the credit for that because I think everybody, and rightfully so, has been a huge critic of Aaron Hicks. But here's my reason for playing him. Play him or get him off the roster. All right. He got a two out RBI single to tie the game on Saturday night in Baltimore that helped in a four to one victory tonight. He goes two for four and scores two runs. Okay, so that's two solid, productive games in a row. If Aaron Hicks. Isn't going to contribute to this team, there's absolutely no reason for him to be on the roster, because everything that Hicks does, there's somebody else on this roster that does it better. And the injury news, and we'll get to that in a moment, the injury news on Harrison Bader is pretty good. Okay, so Bader doesn't sound like it's going to be long before he comes back. And once Harrison Bader comes back, there's really no spot for Aaron Hicks on this team. So play him now. It could do one of two things. Number one, you can get lightning in a bottle. Again, he's a major league player, and at some point in his career, he showed something to convince Brian Cashman to give him that $70 million contract. So maybe you catch lightning in a bottle. Maybe in this interim period where you play him, and if he plays well, he can increase his trade value. Maybe you can get something for him. That's unlikely at this point. But when Harrison Bader comes back, what is Hicks's role, right? You have Frenchie Cordero, left-handed hitter, smacking the ball, three home runs, 10 RBIs in six games. You have Oswaldo Cabrera. Now Cabrera tonight did what you want Cabrera to do. All right. You don't want Cabrera to be your everyday left fielder. You want Cabrera to be your utility man who you could play all over the field. All right. And I I, I made this point on Sunday and I'll reiterate it. Josh Donaldson being out is a blessing in disguise for this Yankees team because it has brought stability to the Yankees infield. But those guys still are going to need a day off from time to time tonight. It was Anthony Volpe getting a day off for the first time in his career, and they plugged Cabrera in at shortstop. Tomorrow, if DJ LeMahieu needs a day off, you could put Cabrera there. The following day, if Glaber Torres needs a day off, you could put Cabrera there. The following day, you could put Cabrera in left field. That is what Cabrera's role on this team should be. That shouldn't be DJ LeMahieu's role, by the way, which it was for the last couple of years. DJ LeMahieu is an all-star and an MVP finalist. That's not his role. You have the perfect guy for that. So if Harrison Bader comes back, what are you going to send Cabrera down? No, Aaron Hicks isn't filling in at shortstop like Cabrera did today or at third base. There's more versatility with Cabrera. He's younger. He does everything that Aaron Hicks does, but he does it better, and he's younger, and he's more versatile. So play Hicks now. If he's going to play well, play him now the other reason for playing him now and I've made this point a couple of times you've got well now one game left tomorrow and and for this reason I hope he's in the lineup tomorrow if he's in the lineup tomorrow and produces again you can play him at Yankee Stadium right now he's unplayable at Yankee Stadium he steps out of the dugout and the fans boo he's announced by Paul Olden and the fans boo he runs out to his position and the fans boo. Yankee fans aren't stupid, though. They've been watching these games. They were watching Saturday night in Baltimore when he contributed to a win. They were watching today when he got two hits. If he has another good game tomorrow and he comes back, they're not going to boo him as soon as he pops his head out of the dugout. Some of them will. We know that. But it won't be the same because at the end of the day, the fans okay, want the same thing that the Yankees do. They want everybody to perform well. And I know he's one of the most unpopular Yankees we have seen in years. That being said, if he can help this team and if he can perform well at the end of the day, that is what the fans want. So play him tomorrow. If he can continue to contribute, then play him the next day and let him ride this out. Because at some point, there has to be a shelf life to his time on this team. You hope that it's already come for Josh Donaldson. Never root for a player to be injured. It doesn't seem like a significant injury. It's a hamstring. But let's be honest. Josh Donaldson not being on this active roster right now has cleared a huge glut in the infield. And it's allowed LeMayhew and Glaber Torres and Anthony Volpe to come to the ballpark every day, know their role, know what they're doing, and that helps their performance. Aaron Hicks, when Harrison Bader comes back, especially Hicks barely has a role on this team right now, but for some reason, he's still on the roster. So if you're going to have somebody on the roster, play him, play him. Don't just keep him on. He's not in there for morale, right? He's not in there because he's this great clubhouse guy. He's on the roster because he's got a big contract that Brian Cashman signed him to when he showed flashes in 2017 and 2018. And he hasn't come close to living up to that contract. And Cashman, this is his really last-ditch hope that maybe, maybe Aaron Hicks can. And how much has he not lived up to this contract? Well, I just spent five minutes talking about this guy going three for eight over the last two Yankee wins. But, hey, that's the position he's in. Uh, So, Yankees win, Mets lose. Uh, Both teams will play matinees tomorrow Uh, Mets at home before they head out on a lengthy West Coast trip. Yankees in Cleveland tomorrow before coming home uh, to entertain the Minnesota Twins over the weekend. And the NBA postseason is underway. I guess this is technically the postseason. It's the play-in tournament and a surprise, although I'm not terribly surprised, but a surprise nonetheless off the bat in the very first game as the Atlanta Hawks go into Miami and take it to the Heat 116-105. So Miami's not done. They still have another avenue into the playoff field. But the Atlanta Hawks are in. And Atlanta had such an up and down and topsy-turvy and disappointing season. Between that and the fact that Miami always seems to come up big in these spots. I think everybody had written off the Hawks and not even given them a shot. And look at that. They're in the playoffs right now. They're the seventh seed. And they will face the Boston Celtics in the first round. So now three of the four matchups in the Eastern Conference are set. You have number two, Boston, against number seven, Atlanta. Number three, Philadelphia, against number six, Brooklyn. And, of course, the one that you can hear right here on 98.7 ESPN New York, number four, Cleveland, against the fifth-seeded New York Knickerbockers. The Timberwolves and the Lakers are about to tip off in Los Angeles. And just like that first game, the winner of this is in the playoffs and is the seventh seed, and that would set up a first-round matchup against the Memphis Grizzlies uh, so a lot of NBA to get to um, a lot of Yankees stuff to get to too. those injury updates coming beyond Harrison Bader uh, we'll check on uh, Carlos Rodon we'll check on Luis Severino is help on the way for a Yankees team that's playing well they're not look Tampa Bay by the way won again they're 11 and 0 but the Yankees are fine just keep winning series if you win two out of every three games over the course of a season you win 108 games, and you know what that makes you? That makes you the 86 Mets, and that was a pretty good team. So lots to get to with the baseball and the basketball postseason underway. 1-800-919-3776. We'll open the phone lines as we continue when we come back here on 98.7 ESPN New York.
0: This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show.
1: Three strikeouts today for Cole. He had 19 strikeouts in his first 12 and a third innings pitched on the season. Still more than a strikeout an inning for Cole. Uh, I was here on Easter Sunday and from about 930 until 1030, it seemed like I took call after call after call about how Garrett Cole is not an ace. He's not worth the money. He's not the guy. He's overrated. It's just the latest example Of an athlete who comes to New York on a very big contract and is underappreciated largely for those reasons. And it has happened for years and years and years. Uh, Another example with Garrett Cole, what more do you want? And I'll ask again, he's he's not perfect, but who is? Like, who do you want in that spot? Who do you want to make $36 million a year over nine years? Who do you want to pay $324 million to to take those starts that Garrett Cole makes? Which, by the way, he makes every five days. Every five days, he takes the ball. And 75% of the time, if not more, he gives you a very good outing. And he's given you three brilliant outings so far to begin the season. So Cole goes seven. And he gets just seven tonight, only needing 97 pitches to do so. Franchi Cordero, the big hitting star of the game, with that three-run home run that really broke the game open. Again, he's played six games. He's hit three home runs and driven in 10 runs. So he's been a terrific addition for the Yankees. Volpe didn't play. Stanton didn't play. You get two hits from Rizzo. Rizzo's batting average is 314. That's nice to see. Uh, wow, this is, I'm about to give my uh, second segment here on the show in which I mention Aaron Hicks. But Rizzo and Aaron Hicks are actually the two Yankees who uh, benefit the most from the no-shift rules, especially Rizzo. Uh, the statistics showed that he grounded out and uh, had more outs attached to him than anybody else in baseball as a result of the shift in recent years. Uh, two more hits for Judge. He's batting... 341 with a ridiculous OPS. Glaber Torres gets another hit. He's got an OPS over a thousand. So yeah, the the guys you expect to hit for the Yankees are hitting. Judge is hitting. Rizzo's hitting. Torres is hitting. Stanton had a night off, but he's hitting, and that is allowing them to withstand the early season struggles of Anthony Volpe. And when Volpe has gotten on, um, when Volpe has gotten on base and w- either via walk or one of his five base hits, he has shown that he brings this, this element of speed that has clearly been lacking for the Yankees speed and athleticism in recent years. So Yanks will go for the series win a fourth straight series win to begin the season uh, tomorrow against Cleveland in an afternoon game before heading home, uh, Lakers and Timberwolves about midway through the first quarter right now in Los Angeles. Um, if you didn't see what happened with the Timberwolves on Sunday in game 82 of the season regarding Rudy Gobert, just a thought on that. Look, Gobert and the video, if you if you only saw the video, it was ridiculous. Uh, Gobert is not the most liked guy in the NBA anyway. On top of that, the trade that the Timberwolves made with the Jazz to acquire Gobert is going to go down as one of the worst trades in the history of the NBA. But what Gobert is, he's a guy who's a NBA Defensive Player of the Year three times. He's best known for stopping the NBA on March 11th, 2020, when he was the first NBA player to test positive for COVID-19. We didn't know at the time that everybody was going to test positive and the whole world was going to shut down. He just happened to be the first. So that hangs over him as well. But when you see a guy, and this was a huge game, because Minnesota needed that game to possibly get into the top eight Uh, which they ended up doing anyway because they ended up winning the game. Um, But in a game with a lot of ramifications, for one player to throw a punch and connect in the chest to another teammate in the middle of a huddle during a timeout is unbelievable. But I'm watching Kyle Anderson play. He was the recipient of the punch. And I just want to say, Anderson's a local guy. He grew up in Harlem, went to UCLA. He was a good college basketball player there. Don't love his game. Has kind of like an old school, old man game, but it's been effective. He played a lot of years with the Memphis Grizzlies, and he's found a niche in the NBA. And apparently, and I didn't really know this about Kyle Anderson. I only know his game, but in reading the accounts of what led up to Gobert throwing the punch, apparently Kyle Anderson uh, historically is very blunt and honest with teammates. And what he said to Gobert apparently was you're not – working hard enough and you're not getting enough rebounds and i guess gobert was actually playing the game with back spasms um and trying to fight through that so you you would think that maybe that was contributing to uh his lack of rebounding or at least not rebounding enough for kyle anderson's standards let me just say this i don't think and i'm not trying to exonerate rudy gobert that was ridiculous what he did punching a teammate in the middle of a timeout during a huge game like that or during any game but it it doesn't really sit right for me to watch Gobert suspended for this game tonight. Anderson's out there playing. Ander- if Anderson just, like, shut his mouth, I mean, who is- he's not Michael Jordan in 98 during the last dance. He's not Michael Jordan going up to Steve Kerr or Judd Bushler or Will Perdue during practice and telling them they got to do better. It's Kyle freaking Anderson. Like, seriously? Rudy Gobert's career dwarfs the accomplishments of Kyle Anderson. So to see him playing in this game today on Gobert's home watching it on television, it just doesn't sit right with me. You know, there's two guys that were wrong here. There's different degrees of wrong. Only one guy threw a punch, I know that. But it's not like Anderson was, you know, sitting there quietly trying to be a good teammate and was punched. If that was the case, that would be different. But he said something stupid to set off his teammate in the heat of battle. And that bothered me. Kyle freaking Anderson, give me a break. All right, so the Lakers and the T-Wolves winner is in the playoffs, and uh, especially if the Lakers win, things are breaking very interestingly for the Lakers. If the Lakers win this game and go into the playoffs as the seventh seed, they would face a Memphis Grizzlies team that has had some adversity the latter half of the season. Uh, They're missing some key players, especially on the front line. Steven Adams is out for the year. Brandon Clark is out for the year. So they're very thin up front against the Lakers team that has a – Terrific big man in Anthony Davis. All right, let's get to some phone calls here. A couple have been waiting for a while. Now, let's go to Mitch in East Windsor to start things off this hour. Hey, Mitch, how you doing?
0: Good. How's it going today, uh, tonight? Uh, thanks for call. Uh I mean, there's playoffs, it looks good. The West is a while. And you think M has got MVP VP? And how think the Nets have a chance against Embiid.
1: You don't think they do? No. No, I don't either. Maybe they they do. But that's okay. I think, the Nets, I think the Nets are playing with house money. The Nets did a terrific job to get to this point. The fact that the Nets aren't playing in the play-in tournament says a lot about them.
0: Yeah, and, 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 and I guess uh, Kyle Young is watching on TV. He okay. is
1: watching it on TV, yes. That's All karma. Right. That's right. karma, Mitch. I mean, look, and thanks for the call. Um, I mean, th- that's such a debacle. Look, Kyrie Irving, and I said this on Sunday, the the problem with Kyrie Irving is that shot that he hit in 2016. If he didn't hit that shot in 2016, then the narrative on him would be so much easier and so much more tidy, wouldn't it? He's not a winning player. Everywhere he goes, uh, it's a toxic situation. Yeah, but no, not everywhere. (laughs) He won the NBA championship and hit one of the biggest – and most clutch shots in the history of the NBA. So that's what makes it complicated, and he's a very complicated guy, so it's kind of appropriate that his legacy would be complicated. But who couldn't see that coming? I think the Nets did a fantastic job considering you know Kyrie put the proverbial gun to their head, said, trade me, which they had to. And then, of course, when he was gone, Durant looked around and didn't like what he saw, so he, for the second time in six months, demanded a trade, and they finally acquiesced to him. And for them to get back all that they got back, the interesting storyline or an interesting storyline is Mikhail Bridges coming into the series against the Sixers. If you remember his draft night, and Knicks fans should probably sh- close their ears when you hear somebody talk about Mikhail Bridges and how he was drafted, because Bridges was drafted in 2018, the pick directly after Kevin Knox, and the Knicks had both of them Basically on the same level, and it was between one or another, Uh, Bridges was at Villanova, Knox was a freshman at Kentucky who was leaving after one year, the Knicks had worked them both out, and apparently they both went back for a workout, and Knox, as the stories go, destroyed Bridges in that workout. And that kind of tipped the scales in Knox's favor for the Knicks to pick him instead of Mikael Bridges. And that certainly is a pick that has not aged well. You look at the current regime, the Leon Rose regime, and how they have drafted. That game last week in Indiana when uh, Quickly and Toppin and Grimes became the first trio of Knicks to score over 30 points in the same game since March of 1979. That was a pretty good game for the draft legacy of Leon Rose. He picked them all, and he picked both Quickly and Grimes with the 25th overall pick in consecutive years. Think about that. Nowadays in the NBA, you could be a late lottery pick and not be guaranteed to start. And in back-to-back years, 2020 with Quickly and 2021 with Grimes, with the 25th overall pick, Leon Rose selected a guy who might be the sixth man of the year and the following year selected a guy in Grimes who is his starting shooting guard for a team heading into the playoffs. On top of that, he picked Obi Toppin, eighth overall in the 2020 draft. But you look at some of the recent, and we'll see it firsthand in this playoff series between the Knicks and the Cavs with Donovan Mitchell. And all of the pre-series storylines are how the Knicks didn't trade for Mitchell, but how about when the Knicks didn't draft Donovan Mitchell in 2017? There was a stretch there, and this predates the current regime. This was the Steve Mills, Scott Perry regime. But there was a stretch where 2017, the Knicks selected Frank Nealikina when they could have had Donovan Mitchell. He went a few picks later to the Utah Jazz. 2018, I just mentioned Kevin Knox over Mikhail Bridges. And as good as that 2020 draft was, you do have to, and as fun as Obi Toppin is to watch play, you do have to step back and wonder where the Knicks would be if they picked Tyrese Halliburton, who was available instead of Obi Toppin. However, with the Halliburton thing, guy missed a lot of games this year, and you do have to factor that in. And I was taking a look, speaking of missing games, I was taking a look at Jimmy Butler. And, you know, Jimmy Butler is widely thought of as an all-NBA player and an all-NBA forward. And nobody thinks that more about Jimmy Butler than Jimmy Butler himself, the way he carries himself. You know, he carries himself like he's in a class with LeBron and with Kawhi Leonard and with Kevin Durant and on that level of player. And he's just not. And when he plays, he's very good and he's got a great mentality. And what he did in 2020 in the bubble was ultra impressive, leading the Miami heat to the NBA finals and leading them to a couple of wins in those finals against the stacked Lakers team. But he's another guy who, yeah, he's really good when he's out there. But if you have to use that phrase, when he's out there, generally that just means that the player's not out there enough. 1-800-919-3776. we are going to talk some Mets at the top of the hour. We'll hear more reaction from the Yankees, Aaron Boone, Garrett Cole, and more. And we'll get some more of your phone calls as we continue. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York.
0: This this is the Pat O'Keefe Show.
1: It's on night that the Yankees win 11-2. The Mets lose 4-2. Both teams in action tomorrow afternoon. Uh, The rubber match of their respective three-game series. Mets at home tomorrow once again for San Diego. Yankees in Cleveland before they return home. NBA play-in tournament started earlier tonight with a surprise. The Atlanta Hawks beat the Miami Heat, so Atlanta punches its ticket to the playoffs as the seventh seed. Miami is going to have to win on Friday night. They'll play the winner of Toronto and Chicago. Toronto and Chicago play tomorrow in Toronto. Losers out. Winner plays Miami on Friday, and the winner of that game is the number eight seed, and we'll get the... uh, Wonderful prize of facing the Milwaukee Bucks in the first round. Meanwhile, the Lakers and the Timberwolves. Timberwolves hanging in there early. Actually, they lead 25-22. Looks like Carl Anthony Towns is off to a good start there in the final minute of the first quarter in Los Angeles. All right, let's continue with some phone calls, and let's go to Richard in Manhattan. Hey, Richard.
0: Hi, Pat. You know, the Yankees are 7-4. and four. That translates to 103 wins. If they win tomorrow... Like you said, they'll be 8-4, uh, and four, which translates to 108 wins. They lose tomorrow. trans, They'll be 7-5. and five, It translates to 95 wins. So the Yankees are playing good ball. They're in good shape. Uh, just follow the course. And uh, maybe Cole, this will be his breakout year with the Yankees. But it's his fourth year, right, with the Yankees. It
1: is. And you're right. That, and that's a good way of saying it, Richard, his breakout year. Because, look, and I said this earlier, I've been getting a lot of calls that recently that he's been a disappointment and not lived up, but he hasn't had the breakout year. That is true.
0: So let's see what he does this year, and then we can put everything to bed. Uh, He'll be living, you know, we'll be looking at him with different eyes now after this year or middle of the year if he has a great year. Uh, The NBA playoffs, you know, we may have a situation like we did in college basketball this year. UConn came out of nowhere, really, and dominated the tournament. Well, I'm looking at the you know, the 20 teams that are in it right now. And there are 20 because you have to include the four play-in teams, too. So you've got 20 teams. Now, if you look at the West, Pat, you've got Phoenix, the Clippers, Golden State, and the Lakers. That's four teams right there that could possibly win it. Not likely, but one of those four teams, you'd have to say, if you had to take, you know, a parlay of those four teams, I'd say maybe thirty, thirty-five percent chance one of those four teams wins it.
1: I'd now, say higher, it, to be honest with you. But go ahead. Oh wow, well,
0: yeah, well, that—that'll embellish my point. If one of those four teams win it, Pat, you will have a situation you've never had in the NBA in seventy-five years—a team with only forty-four, forty-five wins, winning the NBA title. That's never, ever, ever happened. And that'd be a great thing. That would be chaotic.
1: It would, but you have to realize why we're in this situation. And the reason we're in this situation goes Wait, wait,
0: wait, wait. wait. Let me just stop you there. What What situation?
1: The situation in the current climate of the NBA, which is load management and players taking games off, and not playing full seasons because that has contributed to all of these teams. All of these teams, Richard, are more talented than their records. Um, Golden State had Stephen Curry and Andrew Wiggins missed a ton of time. That's why their record is as low as it is. The Clippers don't get me started. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, they're like part-time players. That's why their record is a lot worse. Um, Phoenix, the reason why I think they can win the championship is because they have Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's played eight games for them. There ain't no, by the way, in those eight games. So he hasn't really contributed to where they are so far. So it's, Pat, it's, let me just it's, interrupt it's you. It's so
0: if Phoenix, if Phoenix won it, that would be a referendum that you can get a player late in the season and he can carry you and win the whole – that's never happened.
1: That's never happened. You're right. And that would be a referendum. So but see, easy, to me, to me the interesting
0: is thing, thing is the storyline. Now, I understand what you're saying, load management. But come on. These four teams' records haven't been that bad because of load management. I don't think so. Well,
1: the Clippers certainly has.
0: Could be that. It could be injury, too. So we don't know for sure. I mean, they're not not playing to play and just get in by the skin of their teeth. I don't believe that. But what you're saying, but the bottom line is if one of these four teams wins it, I think it'll be a remarkable thing for the NBA because I don't even think a team with under 50 wins has ever won the NBA tournament uh, championship, uh, you know, in East, an 82 game season. The Houston I'm not Rockets, talking about it.
1: The Rockets, the year after they beat the Knicks, when they came back and won it in 95, I believe right? they were 47 and 35 that year, and they were the sixth seed, and they won the championship. But that was also the year they got off to a slow start, and they. Oh, so they their wanted
0: their excellent. second the second championship, they won it with 47.
1: 47. As a okay, so that's
0: got to be the lowest part, lowest total. These four teams, the highest is Phoenix at 45, and the Lakers at 43, and the Clippers in Golden State at 44. Anyway, my point being, I'd love to see some new blood win. And, you know, uh, outside of Golden State and the Lakers, you put the other t- – I mean, look even in the east, outside of Milwaukee – Boston hasn't won it in what, since 12, 14 years with Garnett and Ray Allen. Yep. Philadelphia hasn't won it in 40 years, right, without uh you know, that was with Moses Malone. So, you know, you got a lot of de- – I'm really anticipating something new happening in the NBA Finals this year, and uh, I treat it like the NCAA tournament. I love to see chaos. I like to see upsets and the unlikelihood of a team winning, you know. And uh, to me, out of the 20 teams, the only one that seems – that I wouldn't want to see is because Milwaukee, because they've won it recently and they're a favorite, but... uh yeah, even I, Philadelphia, I'd love I to see say, whatever won in forty years. Yeah, That'd be great. Yeah, no,
1: that would be a great story too. Richard. Always, a
0: pl- and Denver never won it. Memphis never won it. Sacramento never won it. Even Phoenix and the Clippers never won it.
1: Never won it. So you it. know no, you're know.
0: talking about a lot of failure here. we Would love to see something different. Pat, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank Thanks. You.
1: Thanks for the call. Uh, yeah, look, you you could get new blood. That being said, Milwaukee won it two years ago, and they are the favorite right now to win it once again. But Phoenix, they're the fourth seed in the West. It, it wouldn't be. You know, that crazy for them to win. They're the fourth seed in the Western Conference, but that's based largely on a record uh, during which they didn't have Kevin Durant for 74 of the 82 games this season. And Devin Booker also missed at least a month's worth of action. That's why they ended up where they are. But they're the favorites to come out of the Western Conference, at least according to the odds makers. All right, well, we'll step aside. We'll uh, get into what the Yankees did earlier today. Uh, Another victory for them, a lopsided one at that. As once again, they bounce back from a disappointing loss yesterday. And that has been a theme of the early part of the season as the Yankees are now 7-4. and four. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York.
0: This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show.